the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Welcome to the Tim DeMoss Show podcast. You can hear the program each weekday afternoon from 4 till 5 on AM 560 WFIL and WFIL.com. Good afternoon. It's a couple minutes after 4 and you're listening to the Tim DeMoss Show, AM 560 WFIL.com or perhaps you're listening on the WFIL app, which you're welcome to download free from WFIL.com. Had some sun and clouds happening today. 77 the high before we get to a low of 65 tonight. Kind of cloudy. Tomorrow, a lot of clouds. Maybe a thunder shower up to 90. Kind of an interesting weather pattern. It's supposed to be 86 on Thursday. Then drop back down to 70 on Friday. 62 on Saturday. And for the rest of Memorial Day weekend, as long as we're on the topic, 69 for Sunday and 76 on Monday. So we have a couple of really hot days in the middle of the cooler weather. Phillies lost 9-6 to Miami last night. Zach Eflin had a nice game overall. Six innings pitch. Yep, six hits, three runs, two walks, six strikeouts. Kept them in the game, but Miami outlasted the team. Scored a bunch of runs late. Eflin asked after the game on Zoom call what he thinks about that Miami lineup. Yeah, they're a good scrappy team. You know, they uh, they handle mistakes pretty well. You know, mistakes as in, you know, pitches that we leave over the plate. Um, they're a good ball club, but, you know, we need to take care of business. We need to get back on the winning train and get some motivation in this uh, in the locker room and, you know, uh, just take it with that. Phillies pitcher Zach Eflin last night, also on a Zoom call, uh, Joe Girardi, their manager, talking about Brandon Kinsler, who came in, Game was close, and then Miami blew it wide open. Kinsler gave up four runs and less than an inning's worth of work. The shape of a sinker is is not right, and we've been working on it. I know him and Caleb have talked on numerous occasions, and it's just getting a little bit – it's getting too much of the plate, too. Not only is it not sinking the way it usually does, it's getting too much of the plate, trying to figure it out. Both Girardi and uh, Eflin there talking about the plate, too much of the plate. You know – not all strikes are created equal, not to get too technical, but you know, the goal as a pitcher is to throw strikes, but not the part of the plate that's right over the heart so the player can uh, sock it. You want to touch the corners or move it in and out, move it around, keep them guessing, throw different speeds, and uh, keep a batter uh, off balance if you can, and then get the advantage that way. Make them pop the ball up or, or hit, the, hit a ground ball, weak ground ball, something like that, or perhaps strike them out. Joe Girardi also talked about the fact that if you look up now, you're a quarter of the way through the season. All five teams in the division are just a couple of games apart. Now, the Phillies were in first place not long ago. Now they're in fourth place, but just, I guess, a game and a half out or something, game out, whatever it is, game and a half at this point. So uh, is it early? Is it late? What are we talking here? And it's not early. I mean, it's 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 not late, but it's not early. We're in the middle of the season, and we need to play better. Phillies manager Joe Girardi, they'll try and get that playing better thing to happen again tonight. At Miami at 640. Sixers, meanwhile, are home tomorrow night at 7 against Washington. 
They lead that series one game to none, the opening round for their playoff matchup there. George Hill, been around the league a lot, seen a lot of great basketball and played on a lot of great teams. A recent addition to the Sixers uh, on a Zoom call today. And he had some interesting things to say. Uh, I really respected listening to him. First of all, just the idea of being in front of fans. You know, the other night when they won that first game, how'd that feel, George Hill? It was great. You know, it's something that we truly miss. Um, I think we, no one knows how big of our fans matter until they're not there. So this is one place that I always wanted to be in and, and see the fans be a part of. And I got to do that the other night, even though it wasn't uh, packed all the way. Um, but it's a lot more than what we're used to. And we're going to rely on that here throughout the playoffs. It's George Hill who's played for teams like San Antonio, Milwaukee, and, and Indiana, true basketball cities. And I think he's been on a championship team or two. Uh, in any case, he went on to talk about, you know, he's 35 years old now, and there are a lot of young guys on the Sixers. What does he tell the rookies and the young guys, especially as they get in on the playoffs here? I mean, I just tell them, each possession matters in the playoffs. Um, it's not about uh, any self-individual accolade that you can do out there. It doesn't matter about how many points you can get, how many rebounds. It's just the next play and making winning plays uh, is what's going to win in the playoffs. I tell them, just have fun, no matter if you're in the game for 20 minutes or uh, 30 seconds. Make it count and make an impact. Like that a lot. That attitude, you know, be a team player and uh, contribute when and where you can and, and consider that a success. Great words there from George Hill, one of the uh, guards on the 76ers. Also today, the year anniversary of George Floyd's passing, and um, George Hill was asked about that. And, you know, it, it was a good question that uh, was asked of him because, you know, George Hill on the Sixers. You know, he has money saved up. I'm sure he's got, a, you know, a good lifestyle and he plays on a professional basketball team. He could just kind of stay behind the scenes and not speak out on certain things. And um, so he was asked, you know, kind of why does he, you know, put himself out there, for lack of a better term? Most of those things hit home for me. You know, I grew up in a rough neighborhood. I grew up in a family that's been involved with the police plenty of times and things like that. So, so I've seen seen it, and it impacts me in a certain way. You know, I have a bunch of AU program kids in Indianapolis that look up to me, and and I had a lot of friends who play basketball either in jail for murder now or dead also. So it's something that that's always been instilled in me, the way my parents raised me to speak up, to, to be a, a leader, not a follower. Uh, but at the same time, you know, I grew up just the same way. I come from food stamps. I come from our lights getting turned off and sometimes we don't have food to put on the table and life is bigger than the sport that we play. And everyone's eyes were looking at super, superheroes. But once we take, you know, these journeys off and these capes off and we go out in the community, we're just another African-American that it can be any one of us that gets gunned down just like the rest of them. So um, it's, it's bigger than basketball. It's something that's uh, meaningful to me. Like I said, I just, want us as black African-American men and women to start supporting one another, start uplifting each other and respecting one another. But I think once we respect each other and, and it means something to us, then others will follow suit. You know, and if you listen closely to that, I think there's a lot of wisdom in what he just said there too. I know some folks, when you hear about sports, they're, whatever the sport is, not just basketball, but any sport, sometimes you can feel, well, I'm getting a little tired of hearing about all the different social matters. Some people feel that way. I know at times I have, uh, but it's good to, you know, people are free to speak. And so sometimes it gets tired. So you just want to watch a ball game and whatever the case may be. But 
George, what he was saying there, George Hill, again, of the Sixers, I thought was neat. At the end, he says, uh, in the black community, we want to take care of each other. Make sure we're doing that first. Take care of our business and and then have that um, be a, a gateway to uh, relationships with people from other cultures, too. So it's not just kind of saying everyone else should be taking care of our culture, but should be let's let's do this together first. And that's a good example. And that I think that's great. It, you know, the, the common theme and interesting as I'm just listening to George Hill's comments through all the different things he's talking about has to do with focus on what you can control, what's in your hand. Um, and how you can be responsible with what's right in front of you and and let, let that, you know, consider that a good thing and then see where it goes from there. And um, so anyhow, that's George Hill of the Sixers on a Zoom call earlier today with uh, Sixers Media. Every now and again, you get a chance to jump on some of those calls and either ask questions or just listen in and, and share some of the comments that the players make with you. So we hope to do more of that with the 76ers players throughout the playoffs. And uh, sometimes, again, we do that with the Phillies players as well. So uh, that said, we have a fine broadcast happening today. Victoria, you doing all right? So far, doing so well good. over here. Yeah, good. Yeah. Well, thanks for bringing the audio to the program and cutting stuff up. It's good on your part. It's my pleasure. Yeah. I love to stay updated on all of what's going on in sports news. Yeah, yeah. So that's good. It's a slice of Philly. We like to make this program have that Philadelphia feel every now and again, as much as we can. We also like to have a Pennsylvania feel or a tri-state area right now. We're looking forward to having a couple of guests this hour. Lexi Stefani join us. She's communications and policy offer for Pennsylvania Family Institute. Some good news happening. Not one, not two, but three pro-life bills advanced in Pennsylvania today. The Heartbeat Bill, the Unborn Child Dignity Act, and the Down Syndrome Protection Act. And so uh, Lexi, is in, she joined us, not, I guess, a few weeks back. And I love having the folks on from Pennsylvania Family Institute because they they give us good info on things that are going on. And just uh, whether it's a case that's going to take weeks, months or years or um, as we do with the sports stuff, give you a little update. uh, She has actually some pretty good news to share with us. So we're looking forward to having her on the program. Uh, We are also don't want to forget this. We're only 400 Bibles away in our partnership with Bible League. Five dollars a Bible gets the job done. If you're interested in helping out, you can call 800-YES-WORD or go to our site, WFIL.com. Many have done that. We have 400 Bibles to go by this coming Monday. So whenever you can, one Bible, two, five, ten, a hundred, whatever you want to do, it's all good. Folks have done varying amounts. And uh, the, the Bible will be in the recipient's own language. These are uh, 12 different countries in Africa that we are looking forward to sending these Bibles to in conjunction with Bible League. So, I uh, have a story or two from Michael Woolworth with Bible League who joined us uh, earlier in May just to give you a, a taste of what that's all about, where your support would be going, how you'd be making a difference. Back with more in just a moment. It's Tim DeMar's show on WFIL. You're listening to a podcast of The Tim DeMoss Show, heard weekday afternoons 4 till 5 on AM 560 WFIL and at WFIL.com. It's 416 on the Tim DeMoss Show on WFIL. How you doing? Michael Woolworth with Bible League, who's joined us before in years past, did so earlier in May, asked him to just paint a picture. This gives you some idea of what Bible League's work is all about, specifically in this case in Tanzania. 
Well, let me uh, let me take your listeners to Tanzania. Yeah. I want to give you a glimpse into the lives of 250 Christians. And you know, some of you may ask, you know, why is there such a dearth of Bibles on the continent of Africa? I mean, we got technology, we've got uh, ship on demand, all that good stuff. Tim, gone are the days where you'd put a big carton of Bibles on a ship and pray to God there in, in six months. What we do at Bible League. Um, is we uh, we do print on demand. We work with printers around the world where it's safe to print Bibles. And then as we accomplish um, our financial goals, like we're doing right now with WFIL, we can tell our printers, roll the presses. We need Bibles in the, you know, the Bimba language, in uh, Sangha, and Shona, Swahili, whatever the language might be. Um, that's how we're able to do this in such a cost-effective manner. People may ask, what's the reason why there's such um, a challenge to get the Bible? Well, there's majority religions. Think about Islam that has impacted virtually every part of Africa. There's majority uh, religions, as I say, but also corrupt governments that uh, do everything to stop the advance of the gospel. There's poverty. If you live on a dollar a day, uh, you're not going to be able to afford a Bible, and remoteness is the other one, and that's kind of what brings to mind this next story. When I was in Tanzania, Africa, Tim, it's everything you read, you see in the pages of uh, National Geographic, absolutely beautiful with Mount Kilimanjaro, the Serengeti is here. We were deep in the heart of that country uh, in a very remote village. Uh, I can tell you this was, uh, it, it looked like it was from 200 years ago, but it truly, it was just in the last couple of years. And we were there expressly to give out Bibles to 200 new graduates. I would get there was probably about a thousand people some of those just villagers wondering what was happening around the shanty church and the rest of those were family members they were friends of these new believers and we gave out uh, bible after bible after bible in this case in the swahili language and one of the bibles we gave out was uh, to a woman by the name of mabel i had that privilege to give it to 65 year old mabel found out that she was the village witch doctor she'd left all of that after living about 60 five years in the grips of spiritual darkness. People would come to her for spiritual guidance, um, and again, she gave all of that up when a Bible League volunteer introduced her to Jesus. And Tim, when I gave her that Bible, I can tell you she held it high above her head. And I can tell you the men were, were cheering, the women were ululating. That's a very high shriek. I mean, you've got to cover your ears, it's that high. <laughs> but they knew who this woman was, and they knew what the gospel had done to her, what the gospel had meant to her, and she held that Bible high above her head. And this is what she said, again, ten times louder each time, I'm a new creation in Christ. I'm a new creation in Christ. I'm a new creation in Christ. And because I knew her story, Tim, I, I tell you, emotionally I was a wreck. It's not easy to admit that, but I'm, I'm tearing up. I, I, I leave the building there. I'm kind of looking back, maybe 25 feet away from the church building, and I can see people crawling over each other, looking inside the windows. And just about that time, Tim, there's this uh, pastor by the name of Abraham. Um, he uses Bible League materials and uh, speaks, speaks in not only Swahili but English. He said, Michael, this is a literal and figurative picture right now of Christianity in Africa. He said, those on the inside, like Mabel, not ashamed to say, I'm a new creation in Christ. Those on the outside, these people you see here who are not believers, they're kind of looking in at Christianity, asking, who is this Jesus? Tim, that was Super Bowl week a couple years ago. I have no idea who played the Super Bowl that year. could have been your wonderful Philadelphia Eagles. <laughs> but I can tell you, I will never ever forget that experience. And in the moment as I was giving out the Bibles, Tim, I could not help but think about your listeners who have given so sacrificially over the years to see that that type of kingdom transaction would take place even half a world away in Tanzania, Africa. And that's why we're back today asking your listeners, look, 
there is a crisis in the con- on the continent. I mean, certainly if you're saying that this is where Christianity is growing fastest in the greatest numbers, and yet as many as nine of ten Christians in the countries I just mentioned can't access the Bible, that's a crisis. But there's also an opportunity for us as God's people to put his word into the hands and hearts of these believers, and you can do that for only $5 a Bible. And I can tell you in that very village... There's 250 new believers. Some of those are a result of the evangelistic and discipleship efforts of that woman, Mabel, and others in her sphere. And, Tim, they're crying out for the Word of God today, and that's exactly why we're here today. That's Michael Woolworth with Bible League. He joined us earlier in May and just gives you a little insight into what happens when you decide to pick up a phone, give a quick call, or go to our site, WFIL.com, and help out. So you're welcome to do whatever you like. Certainly appreciate your prayer for this too. 800 yes word if you want to help out. 800 yes word. Or you can uh, go to WFIL.com and click the Bibles for Africa, open the floodgates banner. Just 400 Bibles from the finish line. Happy to go past the finish line, but we'd like to get to it at least. And I think we can. Thanks to all who have helped out so far. Brief break. We'll keep our program rolling along. Going to have uh, Lexi Stefani with Pennsylvania Family Institute joining us in just a moment. WFIL. Live and local, it's the Tim DeMoss Show, weekday afternoons 4 till 5 on AM 560 WFIL and at WFIL.com. Our podcast continues. It's 432 on the Tim DeMoss Show on WFIL. Thanks for listening in. Have some sun the rest of the afternoon, 77 the high, down to 65 tonight. Kind of cloudy. A lot of clouds tomorrow. Don't be surprised to see a thunder shower come through. 90 for the high. Supposed to be 86 on Thursday, so a couple of warmer days. And then back down to 70 for the high on Friday. And in the 60s over the weekend, back up to 76 for Memorial Day, at least at this point. So it looks like a nice weekend. Just kind of weird how these uh, very hot days in the middle and 20-degree swings. Phil's lost 9-6 to Miami last night. They're at Miami again this evening at 640. And the Sixers home tomorrow night at 7 against Washington. Sixers currently lead their playoff series one game to none. So we have some... Good news. Uh, first of all, we get to bring Lexi Stefani back into the mix. Hello, Lexi. How are you? I'm doing really well. How are you? <laughs> Good. Communications and policy officer for Pennsylvania Family Institute. And we had you on a few weeks back and just got a press release about something pretty special that we thought, you know, we need to have you on to talk about this. There are, there are several pro-life bills that have made some progress in Pennsylvania. And I just thought, you know, you work, you've been working with this stuff, right, for a while now. So. Yes, I'm so excited to that there were three pro-life bills that just passed the House Health Committee. Okay, very good. Well, uh, let's do this. Um, let me, now, for some reason, we have some feedback on our phone, and I'm not sure what that is. So I'm going to do this, if you don't mind. Hang on one second, Lexi. I'm going to do this. I'm going to give you a quick buzz back right now on a different line. We have had this every now and again, uh, and it actually should happen more often than not. We have a uh, you know we have m- massive towers out back. And uh, every now and again, you have a situation where there's just feedback going on or, or extra RF. It's part of life, folks. Let's try it again. Hi, this is Alexis. Ah, uh, much better. Great. All right. You're clear as about because you're going to share some good stuff. I want people to be able to hear it without other interference. We have, you <laughs> know, anyway. Now, so uh, do you go by Alexis or Lexi or both or Alexis? What's... Um, both, but you can call me Lexi. Okay. All right, Lexi. So. You have the floor. Take your time. I'd love for you to unpack what you know. I guess there's the Heartbeat Bill, the Unborn Child Dignity Act, and the uh, Down Syndrome Protection Act. So 
we have some time here, nice clear space on our calendar. So uh, whatever order and whatever history or backstory you'd like to share with folks, it'd be great to know. That's great. So um, I'd just like to start by saying that each one of these bills takes time to recognize that there, that the unborn child is a human life and it takes steps to protect the sanctity of life. So the first bill that you mentioned was the heartbeat bill. And what this does is it's kind of based on really a universal fact in the medical community that when there's a heartbeat, there's life. And so what the heartbeat bill would do is stop abortions after the baby has a heartbeat, which is very early on in the pregnancy. Hmm. And that is such an exciting step to protecting life in Pennsylvania. And we're taking a stand as a society to say we will not harm and take life. Let me ask you a question about that, if I could. My understanding is with the heartbeat bill right now in Pennsylvania, you can have an abortion as far as how far in? Because it's a big difference, right? Yes, yes. It's Right now, it's up to six months. Okay. So it's 24 weeks, and this bill would be... Now, it's based on whenever there's a heartbeat, so it, it, it allows room for the medical community to progress in our ability to tell when there's a heartbeat. Okay. But right now, that's about six weeks. So it's 24 weeks to six weeks. Wow. Six weeks to six months. So... What is the pat? Just I mean, that's obviously a huge difference. Mm-hmm. What? What? How long has this kind of a conversation slash uh, I'm going to say tug of war been going on with regard to? I mean, that's that's a big concession, if you will, for those who would want to you know say, well, it should be up to six months versus mm-hmm. six weeks. Mm-hmm. Um, what? Just feel free to paint a little picture there of what that's about because that's yeah. that's a huge a huge step in the right direction if that's actually you know comes to be. Yeah, no, I definitely agree. I think it's we've had bills like this in the past, heartbeat bills in the past, and other states have taken steps to introduce similar legislation. And while it's definitely, you know, a big step um, in protecting life from 24 weeks, it really, and one reason that we have that six weeks with the heartbeat bill is because it actually reflects more updated science than the 24 weeks. So we get 24 weeks because of viability, and it was kind of decided in the Supreme Court with Planned Parenthood v. Casey saying, you know, you can't, states can't ban abortions before, um, after, yeah, they can't ban abortions um, up till 24 weeks. And that's actually being challenged with the Mississippi case in the Supreme Court. So that's another exciting thing that we probably don't have time to talk about, but (laughs) even that is being challenged. But all that to say is that uh, viability is not something that is set. It's something that's changing with medical progress. And so we're realizing that that's a terrible way to define life, defining life just based on, you know, what medical technology we have to preserve a life outside the womb. And so it's something, the heartbeat is something that people can really clearly tell and see um, in the medical community, in other areas, um, not just having to do with unborn children, but it's very clear when there is a heartbeat and that that denotes life. So I think that it is a really powerful tool in convincing people to defend life because it's something we can clearly measure. um, And a lot of medical professionals agree that when there's a heartbeat, there's life. The the bill, uh, folks just tuning in, we're chatting with Lexi Stefani. She's communications and policy officer for Pennsylvania Family Institute and three pro-life bills advanced in Pennsylvania, uh, including this one, the heartbeat bill, the first of the three we're just mentioning which my understanding is it was introduced last year, right? But but it didn't, no votes were taking place, nothing went, it didn't go anywhere. That's right. 
Okay. So, so this is progress that we're having votes on it now. Okay. And just very briefly on this, and I'm not sure if this applies to the other two bills we can chat about a little bit, is is the fact that there's a vote happening, or did the vote happen this morning already? Was that what? Yes. Okay. And that and that went well, was my understanding, right? Yes. Okay. So where to from here? Uh, do you know much yet about what the next step or steps would be? Yeah, definitely. So this also applies to the other two pro-life bills. But I'd say for all of them, all of the sponsors are really dedicated to getting their bills um, to move through the House and Senate. So the next step is that they go. So they were in a committee in the Senate, and so now they'll go – I mean the House, excuse me. So now they'll go to the House for a vote, and then once they pass the House, they'll go to the Senate for a vote and then go to the governor. Okay. All right, so there's that. Let's talk about the other two, the Unborn Child Dignity Act. The Unborn Child Dignity Act uh, was brought forth by Rep. Frank Ryan, and actually kind of the background behind it is it comes from a really personal story that he shared at the committee meeting today when him and his wife had a miscarriage really tragically. Hmm. And he he shared about how not only was the miscarriage really difficult, but when he went to the hospital to ask for their child's remains to bury them, the hospital had disposed of their child as medical waste. And so this is something that is really prevalent and is really hard for parents to get closure. And so this very compassionate bill would have healthcare facilities give parents the option to either cremate or bury their child if that's what they'd like to do. And not only does that give parents more closure, but it also really treats the unborn child with dignity and recognizes their humanity. Wow. I mean, that, that, sound, that just sounds wrong, right? I mean, to, mm-hmm. to, have, to have just assumed that? Where does that yeah. come from? I mean, I, I, mean I, think, I think I can guess, but... Yeah. I mean, I think that we can get that kind of mentality when you dehumanize the unborn child and when you say it's just a clump of cells... And when you buy into all of the pro-abortion arguments, it's really easy to just dispose of the child. But the reality is that it is a living human, and it deserves dignity. And parents have the right to have the option to cremate or bury their child and have uh, more special closure in that way. The Unborn Child Dignity Act, and that too, had a vote last year, but wasn't called upon in the Senate, right? So that what was the progress that was last time around? So this is this is taking it a step further. It had a vote today as well? Yes, it also had a vote today. And um, all three of these bills passed on a 15 to 10 vote along party lines. So all 15 Republicans in the committee voted yes, and all 10 Democrats voted no on each of these bills. Wow. Wow. Okay. Let's talk about the third one, the Down Syndrome Protection Act. And what's that one about? So this is also a very exciting bill, and one reason – so what this bill would do is stop abortions from happening simply on the basis of a prenatal uh, Down syndrome diagnosis. And the reason we need legislation like this is because there is a really damaging problem that's happening in our society, not just in America, but across the world, where children are aborted simply because they have a disability. And in fact, Iceland, this is something that um, Chairwoman Kathy Rapp brought up during the hearings today, Iceland as a country brags about eradicating Down syndrome, not because they found some cure, but because they literally abort 100% of children who have Down syndrome. And here in Pennsylvania, it's about 60 to 80% of children who have Down syndrome in the womb are aborted. And um, 
many families, I've talked to many women and uh, couples who feel pressured from the medical community that they're doing something wrong if they choose to keep their child who has Down syndrome. And so we believe that a prenatal diagnosis of Down syndrome should not be a death sentence to an unborn child um, and that every life is worth living and, you know, just because you have an extra chromosome doesn't change that fact at all. So this would make it illegal to have an abortion simply because of Down syndrome. And just as another piece of background, I would also add that currently in our law, um, you're not allowed to have an abortion a sex-selective abortion. So if you find out the sex of your child and you don't want a girl, you're not allowed to abort on that basis. So this bill is just adding in the same way, just because you can't abort because of your baby's sex, you also can't abort because they have Down syndrome. And to be, and to be, or to clarify that, as, I, as you're talking there, I'm thinking that would, that would kind of only be if you let it slip out, right? Like, mm-hmm. oh, it's a boy. I don't want a boy. Like if you mm-hmm. kept that to yourself, Mm-hmm. You technically could still have an abortion just be, I don't want a boy, and keep it to you, between you and your spouse or, you know what I mean? Right. So, so it's, it's kind of like, it's, if it's out there, if you've already mentioned it and you have discussions, you couldn't say it and then, then have it happen. I mean, there's yeah. ways around it for people who really, really, you know, want to sneak around, I guess, but. Yeah. Well, uh, and a big, if I can just add a big change in that too, though, is um, one reason that this is a problem is because sometimes doctors, there are some, and this definitely is not true for all, but there's definitely some doctors who, once a, they deliver the diagnosis to the mother, um, you know, when they give the mother the options of here's what you can do, here's what life's going to be like for your child, they always say, you know, or a lot of doctors will offer an abortion. And so one big change was that, you know, with the diagnosis, they can't, the doctor can't also in the next sentence offer abortion as an option. Okay. You know what? And I bet, Lexi, that that really, I bet that it's as simple as that is, just what's considered normal mm-hmm. or standard procedure, uh, you know, it, just being in the hospital, you, you're in a vulnerable position in a way, right? It's not mm-hmm. your home turf. And so if someone in a, in, in a coat is suggesting something or, or treating it like this is what we do or this is how it's done or like, uh, I don't know what else to say. or you can, you know, Even if they're not being mean about it, just mm-hmm. the fact that it's considered normal, you have to kind of cut through that mentally and say, no, I'm not. Uh, no. What are you talking about? Why would I do that? Yeah. Exactly. And I think, you know, there's even movements to kind of change the way that these diagnoses are given because so much of it is focused on your child won't have a normal life. They won't be able to do this by themselves. They'll have these medical issues. They'll have, like, it always focuses on the negative and it doesn't really reflect what a gift so many of these children with Down syndrome are to their families. And, you know, it, one, one of the joys in working with this kind of legislation is just the number of families who have children with Down syndrome we've been able to talk to and just see the light and joy that these families have because of their children. And so if we can even get the conversation medically when women first and, you know, women, women and their spouses get this knowledge that it's put in a positive way and given resources and really reflects all that there is to life and that, you know, a child who has Down syndrome has a life that is worth living. You're not kidding. Uh, you know, you folks just tuning in, Lexi Stefani is our guest. She's communications and policy officer for Pennsylvania Family Institute, pafamily.org, I think is the site, if I remember correctly. Yes. Okay, folks want to keep up on these things. You know, uh, our daughter, Tori, is disabled. She's 15 mm-hmm. and has a lot of challenges, not diagnosed with anything official. If you had to pick something, it'd be cerebral palsy, perhaps, but she has uh, scoliosis and she actually was neurologically blind and deaf and uh, through a lot of uh, blessing and therapy is a place we found that helped 
her regain her vision and her hearing, mm-hmm. uh, but a lot of other things too. She's still very completely dependent. She plays in a softball league called the Miracle League, and I think there are various branches of it. And the, we play one in Northampton in Collegeville, and um, she actually hit a grand slam on Sunday. <laughs> oh, it, congratulations! <laughs> so it's kind of fun. But her two of her teammates, I think they're sisters, uh, have Down syndrome, and they've been playing in the same league together for five years now i think it is tori our daughter mm-hmm. and these two girls and on the same team and i can just i can vouch for the fact that our other children who are physically healthy and have played softball and soccer i love taking tori to her miracle league sunday afternoon game mm-hmm. she has the thing she gets to do just like her brothers and sisters all have their sports they play and these people who volunteer have huge hearts this it's obviously a different level of competition it's really more about just being out there as a group Mm-hmm. And I can speak to what you're saying firsthand. Not to, our daughter doesn't have Down syndrome, but I've seen it with these these sisters who get mm-hmm. out there. They get to hold a bat. They get to you know swing. Maybe it takes nine times, maybe nineteen times, whatever it is. But they'll hit the ball and run, 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 run. Everyone's cheering for them. I mean, it's it's very powerful stuff. It's not to. Be, and as believers, we, we you know, obviously we just believe people are made in God's image anyway. But um, I can attest to the value and firsthand watching these these girls have this social setting and opportunity to, to do just like what anybody else does mm. with the love and support of, uh, of the buddies that, that are their teammates that help them and also the adults who volunteer. So anyway, so keep up the good work. We hope that that's part of the conversation. You know, some, sometimes just having normal stuff going on in everyday life in the community can help stem some of the, the uh, deterioration that I'm sure mm. you see in, in, in the courtroom or, you know, in political offices sometimes. Yeah, and I think it's, you know, it's so good to be able to put a face to that, like you were saying, and it's so easy, again, to just look at a paper and say, here's the conditions that your child's going to have, and you really miss, you miss the truth of the humanity of who your child is, and so, yeah, I think this is such encouraging legislation to stop what, I mean, is quite frankly eugenics in Pennsylvania when we're aborting children simply because they have a disability that is really something that's tragic and is really encouraging to see that we have so many leaders who are willing to take a stand for life and say that all life is valuable. I want to encourage folks who have been listening in to uh, go to the site pafamily.org and just keep up on these things and, and be involved, support, pray for the work that you do. Uh, this program, we talk about, Lexi, you know, we hope it's a help to people. Uh, some of our guests are not believers. We just learn stuff from other people who happen to be experts in their field or whatever. Uh, a lot of times people are, uh, you know, believers in the workforce. And there are people who are pastors very clearly, you know, from the pulpit, they're sharing the gospel, whatever it is. But we hope this program helps people. And one way we think that we can help people is not just give them information, which you've been sharing, which is great. Keep us up on current events, stuff that happened just today. But also to say, you know what, when time is gone, the sun is set on life, so to speak, look back and say, did you just hear this and say, that was interesting? Mm -hmm. Or did you do anything about it? Even if it's just say, commit commit to praying for the work that you're doing. Perhaps folks can go online, see other ways they can be involved uh, and help fight the fight. And in some way, they don't have to take over to stop their life and quit their Mm job. Right. But I'm sure there are plenty of ways people can be supportive of the work that you're doing. Yes. Thank you. I mean, that is very true that everyone, you know, you don't have to quit your job and become a lobbyist, but 
we really make a difference when everyone contributes. And like you said, prayer is incredibly powerful. And we have an action alert to ask your state senator and state rep to support these bills. So if you go to pafamily.org slash pro-life, um, we have an action alert all set up where you just put in your information and can reach out to your representatives. That's great. Well, Lexi, thank you for taking time out of your day. You've had a long day. And we are appreciative of your time to be able to share with the audience what's going on. Well, thank you so much for having me and for uh, spreading light on these issues. Our privilege. Well, I hope to do it again. Have a, thank you. Have a great rest of your day. That's uh, Lexi Stefani, Communications and Policy Officer for Pennsylvania Family Institute. Again, their site, pafamily.org. Brief break. We'll come back, wrap up our fine broadcast. It's the Tim DeMoss Show on WFIL. Again, the news that... Uh, Lexi was sharing about three pro-life bills advancing in Pennsylvania, including the first ever vote on the heartbeat bill. There's also the Unborn Child Dignity Act and the Down Syndrome Protection Act. More coming up in just a moment. WFIL. Have a guest you'd like to hear on the Tim DeMoss Show on AM560 WFIL? Email D at WFIL.com. It is 4.54 on the Tim DeMoss Show on WFIL. Thank you for tuning in. We have just enough time to um, focus on something for a minute. The uh, Ministry of the Month for May is Truth for Life with Alistair Begg, which comes up here at 5 o'clock. Alistair Begg has written a book called Brave by Faith, and we are giving that away. Patricia in Philadelphia, Karen in Philadelphia, Doris in Jenkintown, who else? Sherry in Springfield, Lee in King of Prussia, Carrie in Smyrna, Delaware, among those who have won thus far this month, and you can join them, WFIL.com is where you go to enter. Alistair Begg joined us on the program recently to talk about the backstory behind Brave by Faith. Obviously, not every sermon uh, that I preach or series that I do is going to find its way into print for all kinds of reasons. But, uh, you know, every so often, um, a series registers in such a way that it would appear that there might be value not in simply taking the transcripts and turning them into a book, but in working with the material in a way that it could be presented like that. And uh, when we studied Daniel, uh, certainly a couple of years, maybe three years ago, uh, it was clear that it, it just rang a bell in my heart and in our hearts. And so when we started to work on the book, of course, we we weren't anticipating the pandemic. We weren't anticipating... Uh, the strange world that we've inhabited over these last, you know, 12 or 15 months. But now that the book has come out, you know, as of the beginning of May, it looks as though we almost wrote it because of these circumstances, uh, when in point of fact we didn't. But it, there's no question that it intersects with many of the concerns that people have and speaks to the opportunities that are before us in seeking to live for Christ uh, when we're regarded as the bad guys. Brave by Faith, God-Sized Confidence in a Post-Christian World, Alistair Begg's new book. You can win at WFIL.com. What does he hope you take away from it? That is the whole point of uh, Brave by Faith. If it, had been, if it was called Be Brave Like Daniel, uh, we could all of us say, well, I'll tell you what, I, I am not brave like Daniel. So, I, I, and, and the idea that what I'm supposed to do is try my best to be brave like Daniel And the point that we make early in the book is that this is not a call to be like Daniel, but it is a call to trust Daniel's God, which is to recognize that God knows best, that God is in control, 
and that he is the one who superintends the affairs of our lives. And once we settle that, then we may discover that, you know, in the same way that when Paul writes to uh, Timothy, encouraging him to, to be brave in, you know, in his day, you know, he says to him, be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. And that's exactly what is happening in Daniel's case. Daniel's not a hero of the book. God is the hero of the book. And the same God who looked after Daniel and Shadrach and Meshach and Abednego is the same God who has called us to himself and who has promised that he will bring to completion the good work that he's begun in us. And so uh, I, feel, I feel fearful a great deal of my life. And, uh, and so I have to learn to cast my cares upon the Lord, to rest in the promise of his provision, whether I feel like it or whether I don't feel like it. I don't know that these fellows just went striding into that furnace, but uh, they went in. So when the furnace comes, then we'll find out. Alistair Begg from Truth For Life. His new book, again, called Brave by Faith. WFIL.com is where you can win that. Maryland and Marlton, Tracy and Mount Laurel, New Jersey, and Henry and Kenneth Square, among those who have won so far. Gregory in Philadelphia, too. You can join them at WFIL.com. Thanks for listening in. Looking forward to doing the program again tomorrow. Have a great night. Thanks for listening to the Tim DeMoss Show podcast. Feel free to tune in to the full show each weekday afternoon from 4 till 5 on AM 560 WFIL and at WFIL.com. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal record to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.